So let me give you a little background of the title of the sermon series, Route 66. In January of this year, I was preparing a number of messages for about 250 pastors in India. And um, y'all know at the end of February and the 1st of March, I was over there and spent some time with Levi and Lindsay, Trey and Megan Clinney, and all the, the pastors in the churches there in northern India. And what they were going through is something that they called foundations. And it was just the meta narrative of the whole of Scripture. And so there was uh, a couple of individuals who came, who went to India and talked on the beginnings in the book of Genesis. And then I went and I took Exodus through the book of Ruth and it was called Deliverance. And so there was a number of messages and a number of teaching times that I had with them. And then somebody came in and did the kings and the prophets. And then two months ago, a group from Longview Point went over and did all the Gospels and the book of Acts. And then uh, coming up next month, in the month of November, there will be a couple of folks from Florida, I believe, that will go over and spend the, the time there in that week of looking through the epistles and Jesus' return. And it was called Foundations. And so I started thinking about that, and I was like, hmm, I wonder if that would resonate with River Bend. Along that same time, one of my friends over in North Carolina was doing a sermon series called The Whole Story, and he went from Genesis all the way to Revelation, took a whole year. I was listening to some of his sermons and podcasts, and I was like, you know what, that's kind of the same exact thing. And so I started thinking, and the more that I heard from Levi and Lindsay and what God was doing um, with the church there the church is in India, I was like, all right, Lord, is this something that we need? And so uh, through the summer, started thinking some more about it and wrote it on the calendar, which means absolutely nothing. But we start. Route 66. It is the famed highway from Chicago to California. 2,448 miles. It was commissioned in 1926. It was decommissioned with the age of the interstate in the 70s. And it was done away with in 1979. And nobody knew anything about it by 1984 until some gray-headed folks started thinking of a historic Route 66. The road hits the states of Illinois, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. But it symbolized the American culture. That road allowed numerous small towns, individuals, families to live. It connected the United States. And my prayer, as we walk through the overarching story of God's Scripture, that we would look at these 66 books 
written by some 40 people over some 1,600 years, thinking possibly your thoughts or the thoughts of our day is that the book of Genesis has absolutely nothing to do with the book of Psalms or the book of Genesis and Psalms have nothing to do with Matthew, Mark, or Luke when all 66 books point to one person. One person. We're going to see that person, Christ, shine throughout all of His Scripture. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. This morning, we are beginning our journey. Route 66 in Genesis chapter 1. One, and we will look at Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and Genesis chapter 3. And you will be out of here before supper tomorrow night. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1 begins with these words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. Heavenly Father, as we begin this journey. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word and we see the beginning the beginning of time, the beginning of your creation. Father, would it not be so grand that we could not grasp it? Father, you are infinite and we are finite. But Father, you have chosen, you have chosen to give us your word. You have chosen to show us yourself. May we see you this morning. Father, would you draw us close? God, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, we are thankful for what you have done in your Son and through your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. It has been stated, if you can believe the first four words of Scripture. You will not have any problem believing the rest of the words in Scripture. If you can understand or grasp, allow your finite mind to believe in the beginning God. Then all the other miracles... And all the other lives and all the other times throughout the rest of the book 
will fall into their place. Three points this morning. God spoke and created everything. God spoke and created everything. Verse number three, verse five, six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, fourteen, twenty, twenty-two, twenty-four, twenty-six, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and thirty-one, just in chapter one, states that God said or God called this or that into existence. He spoke and created everything. You and I cannot create anything. Now, you and I can go to the wood shop or we can go to the mechanic, we can go to this bench or that bench and we can make some stuff, but we can't create anything. The word, the Hebrew word create is ex nihilo, out of nothing. Meaning this, when you go make something, or when you go put something together and you say, hey, I created this cake. No, you didn't. You put this ingredient and that ingredient, which you had nothing to do with in making, and you put those things together, and hopefully you put them together right, or I put them together right, and it tastes good. He created out of nothing everything that you See, everything that you are, everything in existence, God created out of nothing. Now, I know that some folks that you and I come in contact with this week are possibly even some of the folks that are seating seated in black chairs in this room at this moment believe that there is no God. That we're all just here for the moment and when we die, there is nothing else that is left. We're here for the moment, we're here for 70 plus years and then we die and it's all over. And if that is the case, then you and I are to live however we're supposed to live, however we want to live, and then we die. But if, if we are more than biology, if we are more than chemistry, if we are more than physics, And I would argue that God has stated just that in those words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we are more than that, then He is who He says He is. One of the greatest atheistic horseman, so to speak, of the 20th and 21st century was a man by the name of Christopher Hitchens, and he stated this. In 2010, he was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer, and as it settled on him, that he was going to die. He wrote a book chronicling his last thoughts. Christopher Hitchens' final days are titled Mortality. In it, he talked about how his doctors kept telling him, Hey, Christopher, 
Your body is fighting the cancer. Your body is fighting the cancer. And he stated this to his doctors. I don't have a body. I am a body. And if biology is all there is, he is right. If there is just this stuff called flesh, if that's all there is, then what are you doing here? What are we doing here in this room right now? For you and for me, more than likely, this does not jive with you. Understanding that there is something greater than biology at work. C.S. Lewis explained it this way in Mere Christianity. He said, a baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A, A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desires. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, that most probable, the most probable explanation is that I was made for something more. I was made for something else, another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, well, Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. End quote. Meaning this, that inside of you, as C.S. Lewis is trying to describe, inside of you is a God-shaped void that only one thing, one person, one entity, God can feel. And you and I can try to fill it with everything else. And we have done just that, have we not? We try to fill it with leisure. We try to fill it with work. We try to fill it with family. We try to fill it with this, that, or the other. And nothing, nothing fills it. Lewis and others would say, because only God can feel that void. If there is a desire, then someone, God, put it there. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1. The verses are on the screen. Paul put it this way in Romans 1, 18 and following. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is a key phrase By their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Listen to what Paul says. For what can be known about God, it's plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, verse 20. Namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they, meaning men, women, boys and girls, every single one of us, are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals 
and creeping things. Every part of creation screams, there's a creator. You know, most of you know that uh, Paige and I spent a couple of weeks, the end of September in Thailand. And every building, every square There was set aside, if this platform was a building, there would be set aside in this corner right over here a shrine. Now, the folks in Thailand, don't tell them this. They don't really care. But they're Buddhist, but they worship Hindu gods. It's a total different whole religion. This isn't religion class, but there is this religion called Buddhism, and then there's this religion called Hinduism, and they're separate. But every platform, every, every house, every building has a shrine, and that shrine has a Hindu god, and they come and they bow down to it. They leave. I don't know why the Hindu god loves some uh, strawberry Fanta, but man, you go in the mornings and they've got strawberry Fanta opened up with a straw hanging out of it, and that, that's just what they give it. And they give it um, kind of flowers, and they stand there and they put incense on, and they pray over, and you ask them, what are you praying for? Who are you praying to? I'm praying that my day will go well. I'm praying to that. And Paige and I stood, Stephen and Holly, and we stood over one of those shrines. And we stood there for a while, and we were there long enough for the keeper of the shrine to go pick up all the flowers that were on the shrine so that he could sell them to the next folks who came by 15 seconds later. And it happens every single day. Paul says that the folks in Thailand and the folks in America have done just that. They have suppressed the truth. And they have bought into the lie. God created everything. He spoke it into existence. And every part of creation screams that there's a God. Every part of creation screams that there is one who put this whole thing in order. Let me give you a couple of examples of how creation screams this. Maybe you've thought about it. More than likely, you probably haven't. Not lately. But maybe you have. And it's good. Let's just take the earth for, existence, for example. This is just one of many. But let's just think of the makeup of the earth. Do you all know what the, the makeup of the earth is? There, in the atmosphere of the earth, there is 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.5% argon, and 0.03% carbon dioxide, among other things. If the percentage of oxygen was 3% more, If it was 24% oxygen in the atmosphere, the earth would be a flaming ball of fire. If it was 2 or 3% less, there would be no way that we could breathe or there would be any life on it whatsoever. If carbon dioxide were just um, a little higher, let's say by 3%, is point. 0.03% right now, but if there was 3% of it in the atmosphere, just a little bit lower, say 0.01%, then the earth would either become 
um, an oven or there would be no atmosphere at all. You say, Brian, this is all good. What are you getting at? I'm getting at that there was a creator. There was a creator who put this earth, this planet, just at the right tilt of 23.5 degrees so that every time that it went around the sun, the sun would shine so that we would not be too hot and burn up or that we would not be too cold and freeze but so that life could happen. Think about one more, one of those rocks from the sun. Think about Jupiter. Do you know if Jupiter was not here, meaning if it was not there in the place where it was, where it is, that the earth would have 99% more asteroids hitting the earth every single year. Some 10,000 plus asteroids are taken out by Jupiter every single year. And they would hit the planet that you and I live on if it weren't there. But there was just this explosion some billions of years ago and we just happenstance, right? God spoke this into existence, and he created everything. The second thing that we see, not only did God speak it into existence, but if you look over and over and over again in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, everything that he spoke into existence, everything that he created is good. At the end of day one, he looked at it and he said, it is good. At the end of day two, um, evening and morning, it was day two and it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, it was good. Day five, it was good. Day six, he looks at it and he says, after the end of it, he said, it is very good. Everything that he created is good. So what's the problem in 2017? Something happened, and in my copy of God's Word, it took about a page and a half. Something happened, and it's the third point this morning. That God spoke everything into existence, and everything that God created is good, and the third is this, that sin changes everything. Look with me in Genesis chapter 3. Let me read for us this account in the garden. Now the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and you and I know that something is different there because if the woman came anywhere close to a serpent today, there would be much distance between the two. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And you and I know the answer to that. God didn't say you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden, but he said you can eat of every tree of the garden except this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here's what the woman said. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
she added something to what God had said in Genesis chapter 2. God didn't say you can't touch it. He just said you can't eat of it. But the serpent, verse 4, said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman that you gave me, gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust, all the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said this, God speaking to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain. Pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You desi- your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, to the man, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you of which I said you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain... You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall, be, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. Sin changes everything. One moment, one day, everything that Adam and Eve looked at, Everything that they were walking amongst, all the animals, all the trees, everything was good. And taking and eating of the fruit, which God said, you shall not do, and when you do that, you shall surely die, it changed everything. Sin changes Everything. When you sin, when you have the thought that you're not supposed to have, 
When you say the words that you're not supposed to say, when you do the thing that you're not supposed to do, or when you omit to do or say or think what God has told you to do, it changes everything. Adam and Eve believed the lie instead of God's word. And when that happened, everything changed. Satan said to them, hey, that's not going to happen. You're not going to die. But when you do it, your eyes are going to be open. You will see both good and evil. You'll be just like God. And in a sense, they were. They saw evil and good. But what they didn't know before they ate the fruit is all they were adding to what they were seeing was the bad. They already saw everything good. Everything was good. But when they ate... They saw the bad. The eyes of both of them in verse 7 were opened and they knew. Right right then, when they ate of the fruit, they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves loincloths trying to cover up their nakedness. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and they were afraid of him before they wanted to walk with him. Before there was fellowship, there was this relationship and they were walking and talking with him. Yet after sin entered, it changed everything and they wanted to get away from him. They wanted to hide from him. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans 1? Romans 1, they suppressed the truth. Romans 1, they loved darkness. Romans 1, they threw out what God, and they did what they wanted. The same thing is here in Genesis chapter 1. But we also need to understand this. And in the moment, in the moment you and I don't think about it, But not only does sin change everything with you, but when you and I sin, it changes everything with others as well. Look back in verse 7. Their eyes were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They hid from God. Verse number 17, and Adam said this as he's responding to God, because um, God's speaking to Adam. He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten the tree which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground. Why? Not because of the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. Because you sinned. Let's keep you out of it for just a moment. Because I sin, because Brian Tillman sins, it changes things around you. You had nothing to do with it. It was my sin, yet it changes around you. And when you sin, I had nothing to do with it. When you and I sin... Or when Adam sinned, we didn't have anything to do with it. But it changed everything. The ground was cursed because of sin. The animals were then put in fear of man because of sin. Work became tedious. There was already work, but it became tedious. And there was sweat on the brow because of sin. 
Sin changes everything. So as we finish this morning and I come to a close, let me ask you a couple of questions and try to get us to understand them. How do you deal with sin? How do you deal with let me make it a little more personal. How do you deal with your sin? Now, you, you can't deal, you, and I think we know how to deal with everybody else's sin. If they would just listen to us, we'd have it all worked out, right? But how do you deal with your sin? Do you uh, just play it off and it's like, well, I'm better than so-and-so right down the road. And so you put yourself up against somebody else who is in the same boat that you're in, and you say, hey, they, they blew it this big, and I mean, it was a 10 plus, and I only blew it, and it was a four and a half. Is that what you do with sin? Let me ask it this way. When you sin, and you sin, just to let you know, okay? When I sin, and I sin, who do you sin against? Well, I sin against my wife when I have this attitude, okay? I sin against my kids when I just blow up at them, okay? I sin against my boss when I do this, that, or the other, or when he or she does this, that, or the other to me. It's sin, okay? But ultimately, who do you sin against? Psalm chapter 51, David has been caught in the sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, here is what he says, and he gets it Right. He says this. Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin are ever before me. And here's verse 4. Against you and against you only have I sinned. How can he say that? All of Israel is changed because of David's sin. He took Bathsheba. Some, when they interpret that scripture, it's as if he sexually assaulted her. Four-letter word, rape. If that's not the case, and she came willingly, he still murdered her husband to cover up his sin. This adulterer, this murderer is now saying against you, God, and against you only have I sinned. How could he say that? Because he understands where you and I are easily, we easily forget the height, the worth, the weight of God. And he says, he understands, it's My transgressions, they're ever before you. They're ever before me against you and you only have I sinned. And all this evil that has been done has been done in your sight so that you'd be justified in your words, blameless in your judgment. So bringing it back to you, when you sin, when you have that attitude that you say, oh, that's just because of my upbringing, 
When those words come out of your mouth and you say, well, yeah, they just slip. The action. The action that you do. The action that I do. It's not against the person. It's not even against you. It is against God. And for you and for me to just nonchalantly push it to the side, sweep it under the rug, there is no way in the world that we deal properly with sin. What does God say about sin? God says this about sin, that it separates you from Him. That one sin caused Jesus to come and die. And he was willing to do it. But he had to do it because of that sin. Your sin. My sin. You and I can't blow it off because you and I don't think that it's such a big deal. Or that you and I have just grown accustomed to seeing it or you and I have grown accustomed to being in the middle of sin because of the culture that we live in. I am reminded every time I go overseas. When I go overseas and there's no television. I don't watch television for a number of days and I come back and I watch the first set of commercials and I'm like, oh my stars, what is happening? And I watch a sitcom Sitcom are an episode of one of the shows that previously I'd been watching and I was just dull to what was going on. But if you take a break, maybe you take a break and you just turn TV off for a week. Go back to it. You can see the stark, stark reality of how dark And how easy it is for us to just grow accustomed to it. But when we sin and we understand that the sin is against God, we understand that we have to deal with it the way He does. He says that it severs a relationship. Sin is a big thing for God and it must be dealt with on those terms. You and I can't sweep it under the rug. For those of us here today who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, If you've bowed the knee and you said, He is my Savior and He is my Lord, what does sin do in your life? It breaks fellowship. Breaks fellowship. I was talking with the uh, Connect group leaders uh, this morning. We were going through uh, the next few weeks of experiencing God and what we're going to be teaching. They're going to be teaching uh, the different groups. And we talked about this crisis of belief, and we talked about adjusting our lives to Him. Once we hear from God, we get to this crisis of belief. Is He who He says He is? And if He is, then there's got to be some adjustment. And that adjustment then brings about obedience. And when that doesn't happen, when God speaks and says, Hey, here's who I am. If, if you want to know me, you've got to come to this. When that doesn't happen and you don't go there, then fellowship is severed. But it's even worse for those that don't know God as Savior and Lord. It's even worse for those who have never bowed the knee and never confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is their Lord. Because it breaks a relationship. Sure, He's still Creator. 
He's the one that puts you here. But if you do not know Him as Savior and Lord of your life, you are in your sin and you are separated from Him and all of His wrath is on you. And God says to you and He says to me, Hey, you who know me and you who don't know me, sin is serious. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything was good. And because of sin, it changed everything. And how are you dealing with sin? Your sin. You can have it. And you can live however you want to live, sir, ma'am. You can live however you want. You can do that. If that's what you want, then understand this. You can do that, but one day you will spend an eternity away from Him. Or you can acknowledge that you are a low-down sinner and there is nothing good in and or of you and accept the gift that God has given and that is His Son. And all your sin and all my sin and all our junk and transgression and iniquity, whatever other word you want to add to that, all of it is laid on Him. And He says, you're mine. And your sin is dealt with. Heavenly Father, this is weighty stuff. Heavenly Father, it is your desire because of what you have done. You have shown us mercy. You have shown us grace. You have shown us your love by giving us your Son. Jesus, you have taken my place and all my sin has been laid on you. Father, All of our sin. God, you've taken care of that through your son. Thank you. Father, today I pray that as Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and 3 have been looked at this morning, as we have seen, you have created everything. And Father, the fall. God, would you show us where we stand with you? God, would you show this body if if they are hiding in the bushes with fig leaves trying to cover up their nakedness and their sin, trying to do it on their own. God, would you show us that right now? Father, would you show us if we're yours that, that you have provided clothing for us through your Son? God, may we not leave here misunderstanding where we stand with you today. God, may we deal with sin. Sir, we're about to stand and we're about to sing. Ma'am, the response time is for you. Students, it's for you, it's for me, it's for every single one of us in this room an opportunity for us to respond back to 
our Father. And I don't know where you stand with Him. But the opportunity is there for you. If He is calling you to Himself, would you accept that? If He has shown you today, sir, your sin, would you, would you ask Him to forgive you? Would you confess it and say what He says about it, that it's sin? It's not a mishap. It's not just how you were born. It's sin. And it's against Him. So Josh is going to lead us. We're going to sing and stand and sing. But more than anything, church, would you and would I, would we respond to what God is saying? Lord, would you speak? And Father, would we obey? I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and join us in this time of invitation, this time of response this morning?